0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Welcome to Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. My name is Blake. Per usual, I have just a quick note before we get started. This is a bonus episode, so if you haven't listened to the show yet, I would suggest that you hit the pause button and go back to the beginning, to the prologue to Season 1, to Anna Moya so you can get a sense of what we're doing here. Now in today's bonus episode, I'm giving you an instant replay of sorts from my recent program at North Carolina Museum of History. I was invited to share my work for a virtual presentation at the museum and it was such a blast. To be sure, this is merely audio from the event, but you're also able to watch the entire thing on my YouTube page, searchable as All American Ruins. I linked it in the show notes, as well as the presentation deck that goes along with it. But if you're driving, or riding the subway, or waiting for a Grubhub delivery at home, this might be the perfect way to learn all about the project. That's next on Abandoned, the All American Ruins podcast. Here's Stacy from North Carolina Museum of History.
2: Hey, <laughs> welcome to this edition of History and Highballs All American Ruins. My name is Stacy and I handle adult education here at the museum. Uh, so whenever you sign up to join us for one of these history and highballs programs, you and I get to virtually spend the evening together listening to some incredible stories about places and people and what makes our state so special. Uh, If you enjoy tonight's program, we invite you to head over to the museum's website at ncmuseumofhistory.org, where you can learn more about our upcoming programs, exhibits, and digital resources. This is also where you can find more information about joining our wonderful North Carolina Museum of History Associates. Uh, Our associates and foundation provide crucial funding and support to the museum, which, in addition to many other things, helps make programming like tonight's program possible. We would also like to thank those of you who donated funds towards this evening's program. Uh, We continue to do our best to keep our programs free to attend, but there are costs associated with keeping our series going, and we just continue to be so appreciative of your generous support of the museum. A few quick housekeeping notes, excuse me, for this evening. We ask that you please keep your mics muted throughout the entirety of the program and to please type any questions that you have for our guest speaker into the chat function located at the bottom center of your screen. At the end of the program, our adult programs intern, Hannah, will ask our speaker as many of your questions as time allows. So it's my honor to introduce and welcome this evening's speaker, Blake File. Um, Blake is an award-winning musician, writer, audio maker, and performance artist. He is one of the co-founders of New York City-based folk fusion band Macabre Americana and hosts The File File on Radio Kingston in the Hudson Valley of New York. In his day job, uh, he steps into the role of operations and programs manager at nonprofit storytelling organization TMI Project. Bile holds an MA in Arts Entrepreneurship from Purchase College and a BFA in Musical Theater from Emerson College. And he is also an alumnus of the Audio Podcast Fellowship at Stony Brook University. So, Blake, the floor is yours. I'm going to turn it over to you. Welcome.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Stacey. And uh, Hannah, thank you so much for helping out this evening. Really appreciate it. So nice to be here with all of you this evening. Um, As Stacey mentioned, my name is Blake, and I'm the creator of All American Ruins, which is the project I'm actually here to talk to you about today. Um, I did want to take a quick second to, again, thank Stacy, Hannah, and the entire staff at the North Carolina Museum of History for inviting me to come join them for History plus Highballs. It's a very cool situation that y'all have going on here, and um, it's a little bit relevant to my life, actually, because... A good family member of ours, Bill, um, was the head of the history department at UNC Asheville for years. So this feels like a semi-homecoming in a lot of ways. Um, So I'm going to get started here. I will just note that we had our little tech rehearsal earlier, and some of the video links that I had prepared weren't working. There's one in particular that um, we will have to link out to later on in the presentation but i just wanted to let y'all know um that you know we're over 3 years into this whole pandemic zoom thing and i still feel like we can't get certain things right and it it cracks me up so uh just wanted to make sure i mentioned that before i started so i wanted to check in with everybody before right before i began um i'm i'm just curious is there anybody in the virtual audience who is familiar with this word anamoya um and if you are, you can just raise your little virtual hand. Elizabeth, so we have one. One total, that's awesome. Um, so I'm just gonna read the definition for you. Uh, Moya. It's, it's not actually an official word, but it's nostalgia for a time and place that one has never known. Um, oh, Susan, looks like you know the word too, awesome. And I want you all to remember this word, animoia, um, for the rest of the hour, because it's going to be very important on our little adventure together. So that being said, what is All American Ruins? And I think the best way to put it is All American Ruins is a multimedia travelogue where I recount my expeditions exploring abandoned spaces all over the United States and actually around the world, and I reimagine those experiences through fantastical multimodal storytelling. So a simple little concept. Um, along the way, All American Ruins is also investigating the underbelly of America a bit by asking all kinds of critical questions about the country through the lens of these glorious forgotten spaces, while also encouraging folks to activate their imaginations as tools for healing. One of the cool things about the project is that it's gotten a lot of exposure recently and has been featured in some very, very cool places, including, you'll see at the bottom of the screen now, uh, my newest partner, North Carolina Museum of History. So very glad that you're here. You might be asking me, how does um, one get involved? What does it mean exactly, a multimedia travelogue, fantastical, multimodal storytelling? Well, it's a great question, and thank you so much for asking. There are actually several ways to experience the magic of all American ruins, and the best part of that is that all of the modalities are interrelated. So for example, you could start with the original story, which is on the blog, about the abandoned Neville Grand Resort, which is an abandoned ski resort in the Shawangunk Mountains of New York, and then you could put on a pair of headphones and listen to the immersive podcast version of that original story, And then you could go over, turn on your TV or your laptop, and you could watch the HUDsy adaptation, which is a TV series um, of that original blog post, all of which are created by me. But then I'm asking you to take it actually a step further uh, and to come experience the magic of the project, which, by the way, saved my life. And we'll get to that in a minute in person or online at events just like this one. Uh, and, And the best part I think is I then ask you to go out and use your own imagination because I'm not just going and exploring abandoned spaces. I'm intentionally, actively accessing my imagination for emotional, uh, mental, and spiritual wellness in these vacant and uh, decaying grown-up playgrounds and more. So before we continue, I do want to acknowledge my media partners, WKNY Radio Kingston, where I produce the podcast, and HUDSY the content platform and production company behind the TV series, which you can find at hudsey.tv. So who am I? Uh, and why should uh, y'all listen to me? Well, again, um, it was it's always strange to have one's bio read to them, but my name is Blake, which you already know. And at my core, I'm an artist, through and through. I make lots of different kinds of things and have been doing so over the years. I'm a writer, an audio maker, a filmmaker, a musician, a songwriter, a photographer, or you can lump it all together and just call me a multidisciplinary storyteller. I, um, you might have noticed I use the word, the prefix multi a lot, and you'll learn that over the course of this presentation as well. I also have a piece of paper that says the words Master of Arts on it, um, and another piece of paper that says Bachelor of Fine Arts on it, although that degree, just fun anecdote, I accidentally left in South Korea after a year-long stint at a children's theater company. I had to bring it with me to prove to them that I was who I was, and then I, I left it there. But um, I also just recently graduated from the SUNY Stony Brook Audio Podcast Fellowship, which was an integral organization who helped me bring the project to life. But who am I really? Who are any of us really? Uh, well, I like to say that we don't have stories as human beings, but that we are stories. All of us are an ongoing story that's being told and is waiting to be told. And each of us has a beginning and a middle and an end, and many beginnings, middles, and ends in between. So Just to get us started, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my story. And since we are exploring the healing power of imagination today, I'm gonna take you back to the 1990s when these gray booty shorts on this little nugget right here were totally acceptable. Even though it might be weird, I am going to ask you, and I can't see you, so I can't hold you to this, but I'm gonna ask you anyway to close your eyes And I want you to see what comes up for you in your imagination as I share this story. So, as a kid, I was fascinated with an abandoned dairy farm that was down the hill from my house in Colorado. There was this feeling that I had been there before. Now, of course, this wasn't possible because the farm which was part of the former Modern Woodman of America Tuberculosis Sanatorium that opened in 1909, was closed by 1980, and I was born in 1987. That funny feeling that I had in my gut was more than a weird familiarity. It also gave me this sense of security and serenity, and in the attached house part of this huge dairy farm property, still filled with dishes and furniture and clothing, I would run my fingers along the walls and it felt recognizable to me. Now you can open your eyes. That's the dairy farm behind me. Uh, that's my brother, uh, our neighbor, Lara, and someone who we cannot figure out who it is. Um, and this is before it burned down. Here it is after a major portion of it burned down. Um you can learn more about the history of the dairy farm the inception of this project actually both in the article that I wrote for Colorado Magazine and a special bonus episode of Abandoned the All-American Ruins podcast that I produced exclusively as part of my partnership with History Colorado which is another beautiful state agency much like the North Carolina Museum of History. Um I'm going to play you a small part of that bonus episode now and apologies in advance um but the host in me is going to ask you once again to close your eyes, and let's fingers crossed that this works. Uh, and Stacy, can you let me know if? You but can, first, can y'all hear that?
3: I want you to close your to get, eyes. Yeah. For <laughs> me. Great. I'll start this over. Here we go. But first, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I'll show it to you. The host in her furnishes ample quantities of milk of wonderful and nourishing quality. Celebrated prize winners are in this verse and every cow is kept in sanitary throughout. You can see it, right? The white farmhouse with the brick siding and the animals painted into the windows. It's 1933 in the unmatchable Colorado summer and you and I are standing at the top of a giant hill overlooking this farm there over to the left a long barn an off-white color with large stones that make up the base a silo not too tall not too wide casting a perfect shadow in the woodman valley the land of sunshine now keep turning to your left just past that small grove of ponderosa an even smaller cluster of sandstone there stop you see it that's the pasture filled with the Holstein cows. Aren't they something? I love watching them eat. Graze. Because right now, they don't care about anything but eating. And with that kind of simple mindset, you may not realize the sheer intelligence and majesty of the Holstein cow. And this particular herd, well... These cows actually have a very important job. These cows are helping the staff at the sanatorium save the lives of hundreds of patients who reside there.
1: So you can actually hear the rest of that episode and read the article at historycolorado.org. And I will again, share these links before we leave today. So, As a kid, every time I snuck into this historical beauty, I found myself engaging in made-up conversations with imaginary characters who might have once lived there. I didn't know if I actually did, but it was important to me, and it changed me, because with these imaginary friends, I found kinship and meaning, and it was healing, emotionally and mentally and spiritually, though I don't think that this young kid in the gray booty shorts was actually aware of what any of those feelings were. I just knew that I loved to be there. And I frequented these visits more and more to the abandoned dairy farm. And the more that I frequented them, um, the more it transformed into my private sanctuary. So we are now going to fast forward from the early nineties to May of 2020. And I woke up from a dream that I was actually back inside that dairy farm. The same funny feeling, anamoya bubbling up in my gut, And it was the first time in months that I had felt a sense of safety. COVID had been raging for three-ish months at that point and my germophobic isolationist anxiety had kind of taken control of my life. So I lay there and I was thinking about the dairy farm and I wondered if there were any abandoned buildings near my home in the Hudson Valley where I live. So I googled abandoned spaces near me And I found out that they are everywhere. In fact, there are just according to records that we know of over 40,000 abandoned buildings in this country that we know of. I began to venture out to the ruins of America with this curiosity and this almost strange feeling of animoia that I didn't quite understand yet. Places that look like they've been raptured and all American ruins was born. So I know this is going to sound dramatic, but this project saved my life. It's true. I, th- I think a lot of people can relate to the isolation and the anxiety that came, well, came with, at least for me, the pandemic. I found true sanctuary in going to explore these kinds of spaces because using my imagination as a grown grownup, uh, it helps keep me sane and grounded by finding all of these what seemed like not safe places, but were safe to me—places to escape to and connect with my creativity and my wanderlust and meditation—which helped me feel connected to something bigger than myself. I use the word sanctuary very intentionally. Uh, furthermore, this project saved my life in an another way. It—I um, know that the past three years have been fraught with political and social and cultural unrest, but I'm not here to take any sides today. In fact, exactly the opposite. I'm just here to say that in addition to these spaces becoming spiritual sanctuaries, they also became places to reflect on America. Oh, Laura, thank you so much for coming. Um, As they mentioned, the the recording will be on their YouTube page at some point. Um, So these spaces became places to reflect on America and observe a different side of the story about America that growing up I was taught in public school. The project began about the same time that we were starting to see the movements, um, social movements stirring and exploding both on the heels of Black Lives Matter and in the midst of the ramp up of the Women's March The fight for gun control with every town for gun safety, the attack on LGBTQIA plus rights, the tumble down of the economy and the environment. And again, I am not taking sides. All I'm saying is that I have reevaluated quite a bit about the story of America that I was taught because I've spent so much time wandering its ruins. And I might suggest, actually, that as a collective, we can learn a lot about a different side of American history through the lens of these abandoned spaces. This is the quote that really kind of trajectory, was the trajectory for me into this idea. And it's um, sort of an urbex, urbex meaning urban exploration goddess, Rebecca Solnit, who wrote this beautiful book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And I'm just going to read it out loud because it's really become something very important to me. Ruins become the unconscious of a city, its memory unknown, darkness, lost lands, and in this, truly bring it to life. With ruins, a city springs free of its plans into something as intricate as life, something that can be explored, but perhaps not mapped. This is the same transmusion spoken of in fairy tales when statues and toys and animals become human, though they come to life and with ruin, a city comes to death, but a generative death like the corpse that feeds flowers. It is in some way an ideal home for the art that also falls outside of ordinary production and consumption of the city. I mean, that just completely sums up everything that I've been doing. So how is that for an intro? Um, Yes, so we're going to be splitting today's talk up into two parts. The first part is part one, the science of imagination as healer, and then part two, an alternative roadmap of America. Now, over the course of the presentation, I want you to keep asking yourself two questions. One, can the human imagination serve as much of a space of healing and serenity as it is a space of creativity and wonderment? And then also, what can we learn about American history, culture, and politics from the ruins of America? So let's just dive right into part one, the science of imagination as healer. This is a quote from one of my main sources of research, Dr. Kathy Malchiotti, who's a PhD and has done a lot of work in imagination work, which we'll get to in a little bit. But Uh, She states, many contemporary psychotherapists believe imagination sets the stage for engagement in treatment, positive shifts in thoughts and feelings, and ultimately, the discovery of novel ways to overcome life's challenges. So remember the first question that I asked you to keep in mind as we navigated today's presentation. I'm going to get just a little bit more specific with it. The question being, can we improve our mental and emotional well-being in real time using the power of imagination. The short answer is, yes, I think that we can. Um, The problem with this posit is that there isn't actually a lot of research on imagination healing us in real time, uh, at least that I've I've been able to find. But what I have been able to find is simple. Uh, Basically, the research suggests that yes, imagination can be a reparative and restorative experience that helps us discover novel ways to address life's challenges. People who experience long-lasting traumatic stress reactions may have challenges when it comes to imagination, and the restoration of an individual's imaginative capacity may be part of the healing process when it comes to traumatic stress. So these are all the findings of Dr. uh, Kathy Melchioti, like I said, via Psychology Today, discussing expressive arts therapy which is an integrative approach to treatment for trauma using movement and sound and image making, enactment, play, and other forms of implicit communication. And when I was reading about this, I thought to myself, these are all of the things that I've been doing as I've been wandering these abandoned buildings. As such, imagination is a core component of expressive arts therapy, and today it's actually widely believed among mental health and wellness practitioners that our imagination provides a foundation for all kinds of trauma-related treatment, which enables patients to learn how to uncover positive shifts in thoughts and feelings and unearth simple ways to triumph over challenges in life. I came across this research from Dr. Malkioti about two years into my work with All American Ruins, and I had been actively thinking about how my imagination in these abandoned buildings really was running wild. I was aware that there was, um, that something was kind of off in the picture uh, that my family painted um, of, of, of our family when I was a kid. But when I used my imagination inside of the abandoned dairy farm, it became a first line of defense and protection from any of those scary or traumatic feelings and thoughts about all the bad things I was witnessing my family going through. And I say all the bad things. I actually had a lovely upbringing, Um, but my parents' divorce was quite traumatic. And there were a couple other things too. And again, this dairy farm just provided a sanctuary for me. And then again, as an adult living alone in a pandemic Uh, I was germaphobic and isolationist. Uh, Anxiety, like I said, took the best of me. And I was completely afraid of even being on any of the hiking trails near my house in the Catskills because the influx of people coming up from New York City, which was the original epicenter of the pandemic here in the States, was overwhelming. Um, But boom, there it is, my imagination keeping me safe. I was venturing out across the country playing Literally playing pretend as a 30-something inside abandoned buildings. And while the pandemic was as extraordinarily taxing um, as ever, I have to say that my experience was significantly improved because I had this creative and emotional outlet. Now, I was pouring through this research and I also located the potential holes which I mentioned, the first being that fear, the the human feeling of fear can actually be a deterrent to humans actually being able to access their imagination. So I asked myself how it was possible that I could overcome all of these very debilitating fears I had when it came to COVID and still be able to access my imagination as strongly as I had been. And I realized that the project didn't really pick up steam in the creative realm until after I got vaccinated. And just total side note, the first place that I visited after I got vaccinated was North Carolina and several spaces that we're going to get to explore together a little bit later. Um, but also just to get a little, bit more, a little bit more personal, I had spent almost a decade in sobriety. Um, actually, I will have been sober September of this year for 10 years. Um, And so a lot of personal issues and character flaws like crippling anxiety and fear had already been finding solace in a sense of healing over the course of that decade of work. The second hole that I uh, noticed with this idea that imagination could heal us in real time was that so much of the research surrounding imagination-based trauma recovery focused on patients with mental illnesses who had experienced past traumas and the healing from those. In that article I mentioned from Dr. Malkioti in Psychology Today, she points out that research on brain imaging led by a team at the University of Colorado Boulder suggests that imagination can heal people with fears and anxieties, however, and those who struggle with trauma. So instead of providing typical exposure therapy, participants in this study were asked to simply imagine a threat for a few moments to help them cope with overwhelming bodily sensations associated with that threat. Participants were um, more able to adjust to a threat by visualizing it. And if these results hold true in larger studies, it may mean that imagining a traumatic event can actually change the way that our brain perceives, i.e. imagines it. In other words, imagined and real exposure may not be so different and imagination could work just as well in real time. But I kept asking myself, what about in real time? What about conquering real life, real time trauma like the isolation and fear brought on by a pandemic? Well, it worked for me. This project is a testament to that because of the pandemic, I reclaimed the artist identity in me. I got reacquainted with creativity and reconnected to my inner child. Um, now, if Dr. Malkioti would just use this project as part of her research, we would be in business. Um, and I love this quote from Bessel van der Kolk. I hope that you read it, but I agree. Imagination is absolutely critical to the quality of our lives. As we close part one and move into part two, which is the real fun part, I thought I would leave you with this quote from Dr. Rafael Campo. I have come to believe in the power of the imagination, if not to cure, then to heal. The only way that we can defy our own mortality is through acts of the imagination by creating the stories and the sculptures and paintings and poems that will outlast us, but that will always be animated by our will to have created them. I will send you links to all of this further reading, and you can do more investigative research on the power of imagination and the science behind it. But we are now going to go into part two, and we're going to go out on an adventure. Um... I think we'll start with this quote from James Baldwin. I'm, again, not here to criticize America. I'm just here to ask a lot of questions, but this felt pretty relevant. I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. So as I've been exploring the ruins of America, I started realizing that I was creating an alternative roadmap of the country I know and love, a blueprint of a country that didn't tell me the whole story in history class. You know, I was told over and over and over again that America was the greatest country in the world, but why then, with every abandoned space I visited, did I find more holes in that very grandiose statement? So remember that second question that I asked you to keep in mind at the beginning of all of this, what can we learn about American history, culture, and politics from the ruins of America? In part two, I'm going to guide you across seven states through 12 different locations, and we're going to explore all sorts of topics. So let's go. This is where you and I are going to keep track of our little itinerary together. As I said, we have seven states to get to, so buckle up. The first stop being uh, New York, my home. The Empire State. I re- I really love it here. This is where the journey Technically started, even though it really started when I was a kid in Colorado. I live in High Falls, which is the home of cement. That's right. You can be jealous. But the county I live in, Ulster, just by itself, is littered in abandoned spaces. However, we're actually going to start at the first abandoned space I visited when the pandemic started, an abandoned Air Force base just outside of Saratoga Springs, New York. So This is the Saratoga Springs Air Force radar station in Stillwater, New York. In 1948, the United States Air Force greenlit the establishment of 13 radar stations in the Northeast of the United States. So let's give some context. When the Korean War began, the Air Force received additional radar station support. And by 1952, the 656th Aircraft Control and Warning Squadron was in business. So initially this site operated as what's called a a GCI, a Ground Control Intercept Station, which took on the responsibility of guiding interceptor aircraft toward unidentified intruders that could potentially be picked up on the unit's radar scopes. So a pretty big job. Um, Now it's a dumping ground. And when I visited, I was immediately flooded with stories my mom had shared from her childhood about the Cold War air raids and ducking under desks as if that was going to help a bomb (laughs) falling on a building. Um, As I mentioned, these videos don't seem to be working, uh, but this song, Duck and Cover, from the 50s was something that the United States Civil Defense Administration developed. It was this little cartoon turtle named Bert, and he sings this song that's, um, I'm going to try to sing it for you the best I can, but it goes, there was a turtle by the name of Bert and Bert, the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. he duck. And then in the video, the little turtle goes, and cover. Anyway, we'll send you these links afterwards. <laughs> but the, it's, it's called Duck and Cover. And you can find the whole, I think it's like 20 minutes long on, on YouTube. Um, so inside this huge space, which was built into a hillside, there was an old Buick that smelled just like my father's Geo Metro from the early 1990s. So it brought me back to that part of my life. And it was filled with trash bags and trash bags of stuff, remnants of human life. And that was the moment that I realized I was hooked. This particular site closed in 1977 indefinitely and it's sat abandoned ever since but you can actually go explore the complete site with me and the podcast episode from season one of abandoned. And that song that I just sang is heavily featured um, by the original <laughs> chorus who sang it back in the late forties, early fifties. So we're going to head downstate in New York, uh, about three hours South of where we just were to Huguenot, New York, which is a hamlet in orange County, just North of Port Jervis, which is where we're going to visit CND battery technologies and the word hamlet it's just another fancy word for neighborhood. The way that New York state bureaucratically breaks up tax divisions and boundaries is um, it's kind of annoying. (laughs) So that's what a Hamlet is. So from 1959 to 1970, this facility was owned and operated originally by the empire tube company, and they were manufacturers of black and white television tubes. So when I got there, I immediately realized that I was going to be thinking a lot about environmental justice because in that original facility, hydrofluoric acid was used in the manufacturing process to remove carbon and potassium silicate from inside the tubes. But during this period, industrial wastewater was discharged to a lagoon that is adjacent to the northeastern corner of the plant building. c and Technologies purchased that building and then operated at this facility manufacturing industrial lead batteries from the mid-1970s to 2006. And from the mid-1970s till approximately 1982, CND discharged non-contact cooling water into the lagoon. So we were poisoning the groundwater all over this region with barium, cadmium, lead, you name it. It was going into the groundwater and the Department of Environmental, Environmental Conservation wound up coming in afterwards to do the cleanup. When the building was abandoned in 2006, The town of Huguenot, which is very small, they lost over 200 jobs, all of which were shipped off to Mexico. So again, just asking myself questions about America and our environmental policies and what it means to have jobs here versus overseas. When I first visited the site, switching into the imagination part of this, I was immediately thrust into this Aaron Brockovichian fantasy. So the damage done to this environment for years and years from multiple companies, it really took me. This is one of two major industrial complexes in New York that I visited over the course of my travels that are designated EPA cleanup sites. Not only does this site exist as a symbol of American capitalism gone awry and without regulation, actually, it's also representative of how large corporations can get away with so much abuse to the environment. C&D was never actually held responsible for the cleanup. It was the taxpayer who was held responsible. So we are going to go just up the road to Ellenville, New York, which is the abandoned 550 acre resort I mentioned earlier, the Neville Grand Resort, which is part of the rich, rich history of this country um, and this area specifically. It's called the Borscht Belt, which is a region of about 150, most of which now are abandoned hotels and bungalows that were purchased in the 1920s and 30s. um, These properties built and purchased in the 1920s and 30s as a way for Jewish people in this country to combat anti-Semitism. So I hope that you're starting to get a sense of what I mean by an alternative roadmap of America I often find when I talk to my friends about these particular kinds of places that I um, just mentioned, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, I've driven by that. I never knew what it was. But if you look just even a hair closer, you start to see that these spaces actually paint a much different picture of American society than the ones that um, than the stories that I think that were fed in very basic U.S. history classes. So we are off now to Pennsylvania uh, to another resort. Which is the Penn Hills Resort in Analomic, Pennsylvania? Which uh, it's situated in the Pocono Mountains. Penn Hills is also a massive sprawl that was built as a couples resort back in the day. I had another video prepared, which was a commercial. I think this is the last video that we're not going to get to watch. Um, just a commercial for Penn Hills. As you can see, they had these classic heart-shaped tubs. In the commercial, um, I realized when I watched it uh, that something felt a little off about it. Something that I did want to mention that I never do when I go to these spaces is any research actually prior to an expedition other than the location. I really like to enter a space with a blank slate so that my imagination can create its own reality that I can then go back and juxtapose to the facts when I am creating any of my stories for all American Mm -hmm. ruins and the facts of Penn Hills and its history kind of blew my mind. So it was originally founded in 1944 as a tavern, and the resort grew over the years, hitting a boom with the explosion of tourism that hit the Poconos in the late 1970s through the early 1990s. So, a lot of people escaping New York City and going to the Poconos. By the uh, early 2000s, the resort had run into disrepair, and Charles Paalillo, who was the owner who inherited the resort from his parents, Wound up owing $1.1 million in back taxes and then suddenly shuttered the resort in 2009, which is also when the Neville, the previous resort, was shuttered. Many of the employees who worked there were never paid for their final months of work and it just shut down. So, something that in these, I mean, this really killed me. There were these tubs all over the property that vandals had taken out of the rooms and kind of strewn all over. And you can't tell, but this pool is actually in the shape of wedding bells. So when I was there, I really got a sense of the early 1980s, like this gas mileage guide that was just sitting there um, in one of the rooms or this disco ball that was in the basement club where there was a piano that was tipped over. Just amazing, amazing things. This house, which is on the property, Belonged to the Peolilo fan family and it was very Versacean. Um, not my design aesthetic for for sure. When I mentioned that I watched that commercial and there were a few things that kind of felt off to me. Um, it's it's a commercial with a lot of white people in it. This was the this was the 1980s, and we weren't talking about things like diversity, um, the way that we are now, especially now. Uh, I also noticed that. In this commercial, clearly there weren't any queer couples because that wasn't a thing in the culture back then. And so, as I was watching this commercial, I thought to myself, wow, I really don't know if I would have felt comfortable or safe there uh, if I was someone who went in the 90s. But the thing that really struck me about this whole space was this piece of graffiti that I found under one of the cabins. So I visited this site on January 2nd of 2021, four days before the uh, insurrection. So the Black Lives Matter movement had been going very strong since early February 2020, having exploded the summer of 2020 when national tensions were at an all-time high between communities of color and police. Now, again, I'm just going to remind everybody I am not taking sides on anything. I am simply stating that contextually, At that moment during the pandemic, this whole experience really spoke to me. So we're going to leave Pennsylvania and head to the amazing Middle America now to the wonderful Huff Bakery in Cleveland, Ohio. So this space was really interesting to me because it had been repurposed a few times. Um, It was founded in 1903 initially as a family shop. And then by 1952, It had evolved into a larger entity with several locations in and around the Cleveland area. By 1992, Huff had faced a host of losses after refusing to modernize their operations, and they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in August of 1992. Now, as far as the repurposing goes, I couldn't couldn't quite figure it out. It looked like it had been parceled off as a pub restaurant club lounge at one point because there were jukeboxes and there were two bars and a pool table. Actually, I think there were two pool tables and disco balls everywhere, just kind of sitting in this one portion of the backside of the complex. I also think that at one point it served as a storage unit for Winkleman's, which was a once famed regional department store in the Midwest, now yet another defunct company. They There were just tons of these Winkleman's display cases. I think what I loved about the space the most, however, was what it represented uh, regarding the resilience of a community, despite the fact that clearly the surrounding neighborhood had been completely ignored or forgotten by local city government. I mean, it, the, the neighborhood was decimated and many, many abandoned houses sat all around this property um, and squatter pads surrounding the bakery. So what was interesting to me is despite that, you could feel this community resilience, just a group of people trying to get by. Um, and this space really represented that, the closure of the space. It was also a special treat for me because it was the first time I got to share my love of abandoned spaces with my boyfriend Jake, um, who is not the teletubby in the filing cabinet. He's the gentleman with the mustache in the background of this picture. Um So we're going to keep zipping through these spaces. We're heading off to Oregon now, the green, green state of Oregon on the West Coast uh, to talk a little bit about housing justice and homelessness. Um, Something I think about a lot is how wasteful some of these spaces can be. The fact that there is a housing crisis right now and the fact that there are so many empty buildings across the country is really disturbing to me. And this was a really good example of that. This used to be the Rock City Pizza and Amusements center and now it is an abandoned building. This space happened without any research and I love when that happens because it's this really cool kind of serendipity. And this one in particular felt special because it happened on a drive from Portland where my mom and my sister live to Medford where my brother and my father live. What really stuck out to me about the former Rock City Pizza and Amusements was this dialogue on uh, child poverty that it elicited for me. In the final form of whatever the space had been transferred into a bunch of times, it, the, the upstairs portion of it had been remodeled into this apartment. And it was clear that at one point, a child, possibly two children, lived in this space. And then, as you can see, they just up and left everything, which was wild to me. And I kept asking myself, what happened to this group of people that all of this stuff was just left here? I think these are the moments where my imagination can kind of take a bit of a dark turn. Um, you know, I don't have any information about the whereabouts of the people or even who they are, the folks who abandoned this property and everything inside of it. But I know that something must've happened for them to just up and leave and discard an entire life. Uh, I think this is actually one of my favorite images that I've captured on this project project so far. I just like that It says, wake up behind me. Um, I just think the idea of our country ascending out of its homelessness problem is something that could really be alleviated substantially if we were able to reuse and repurpose these spaces. Um, So we're going to continue down Interstate 5 to Southern California and then across Interstate 10. And we're going to go back in time to 1979 when gas lines were long and Jimmy Carter was warning folks about the crisis of confidence. So this was an abandoned gas station in the middle of the desert. And it was mesmerizing to me. It's one of my favorite places we I have visited. Super simple place, but it really bought, brought me back to this moment in our country's history. I think about the 1979 gas lines all the time. My mom has a vivid memory of them and it makes me actually think about our current economy and the gas hikes that we saw which then ultimately sparks my mind to think about the war in ukraine and putin's grip on the world and the military spending budget et cetera, et cetera. but i think what i really loved about this space was just how still it felt the desert is a pretty healing environment and there's a lot of desert in this country as it turns out and this empty shell of a business in cactus city california really centered and grounded me in a way that hadn't happened yet. And despite the fact that it was right off the interstate, I still felt this stillness that was really palpable and calming. I believe this was an Amico station, but still undetermined. I have been doing a lot of research trying to figure this one out. Um, Apparently, what I did find, this gas station was one of several buildings that were part of this failed roadside experiment where this one guy bought up all this property with the intent of turning it into a tourist trap destination. So think motel, kitschy desert museum and a diner. But um, I also loved being here because it was cool to see the desert slowly but surely swallowing up this once occupied business. So we're going to leave the West Coast behind, keep on pushing through to the East Coast, really close to your neck of the woods, to Virginia, to the eastern shores of Virginia, where we are going to visit Central High School. This one also happened by accident as I was driving back to New York from North Carolina. These are the remains of Central, Middle, and High School. It started as just Central High School, and then they turned it into both, and then they abandoned it. So the last that I could find the property was, or is owned by an artist and her two sons, but nothing has been done with it. And it's still just sitting there. This Art Deco Wonderland was partially funded by the Works Progress Administration between 1932 and 1935. And it was abandoned in 2005 and subsequently placed on the National Registry of Historic Places in 2010, but it's in serious disrepair and fully accessible to vandals, as you can tell. It was also the scariest place that I ever visited up to that point because, um, not because it felt creepy or haunted, but because I actually fell through the floorboards of a second floor classroom, nearly plummeting all the way into this bathroom uh, where I took this picture. Luckily, caught myself on some support beams mid-fall, and I was able to hoist myself back up. Um, And in that fall, (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, I, I need to establish new rules for myself of I'm going to keep doing this project. And so I don't go to second floors by myself anymore. I stick to the outsides of rooms because that's where the support beams are, blah, blah, blah. Um, the space also gave me pause and it caused me to think about education in this country. Um, you know, the fact that this built this beautiful building was closed and all the kids who attended it had to move to other schools further out. It, I don't know. It really made me sad. And it actually made me kind of mad. Um, at the lack of access to equitable learning environments in so many places across the country. So I have saved the best for last. We have made it to your home in North Carolina. And I have to say that North Carolina had some of the best abandoned spaces that I ever got to visit. Uh, The first of which I'm going to share about is on the Outer Banks Where I mean, that is a goldmine of abandoned buildings, let me tell you what. Um, As I mentioned, after I got vaccinated, I took a week-long trip uh, to North Carolina, which was the first time that I think I had been um, since I was a kid when I visited family in Asheville. Um, This abandoned waterfall, or this water park, Waterfall Park, was one of several spaces that I got to see out there, and it happened totally by accident. Uh, Growing up in Colorado, we had a water park in my hometown that was about the size of this one. Three slides, a water balloon fight arena, go-karts, but it closed pretty early on. And when I went to Waterfall Park, I was immediately thrust back into the childhood of mine and 90s culture. And I got to thinking about American leisure and just like education, Equitable access to spaces like this, who, who are these spaces really meant for, and are they truly built for everybody to enjoy? These are the questions that I was asking myself as I wandered around this place, which was abandoned in 2008, right at the beginning of the height of the housing crisis. These are the kinds of anecdotes um, that, to me, showcase how these spaces really represent an alternative, alternative history book to the one that I think we have been given. I was also actually able to use, uh, shoot some film photography here and I captured some of my favorite sort of ghosty photographs. I saved our last space um, for this, uh, not only because of its close proximity to Raleigh, which is where the wonderful North Carolina Museum of History lives, but um, also because it was just fascinating to me, which was this abandoned house, actually two abandoned houses in the middle of the woods in Apex, which I'm sure many of you know is a suburb of Raleigh. This, this was an extraordinary find. Um, I couldn't locate any information about either of the houses on the property, and and you really wouldn't know that they were sitting there, despite the fact that the property is just thrust right up to a pretty active county highway, but the trees were as such that it was totally... Um, it was totally left and you couldn't see it. And I think the thing that got me about this one was the question that I have asked myself over and over and over again, who lived here? Why did they leave all this stuff behind? I mean, who is Susan? Who who did this stitch work for Susan? It's, it's amazing to me. Um, and again, why are these two houses just sitting here empty while folks all over the country can't afford to pay their rent? now or don't even have a home at all. Just more questions to add to the pile. But with that, I'd like to thank you for helping me draw a new roadmap for the United States by going on this adventure across the country to the ruins of America. I really hope that it was invigorating and interesting. I, I don't know, I just think it's amazing. Just by visiting a few spaces that are abandoned across the country, we get to examine America And so many themes that reflect on our past and our present and our future. War, the environment, prejudice, racism, the justice system, community, homelessness, the economy, education, preservation, leisure, family, so many other themes that can be extrapolated from just a quick trip to one of these ruins. Um, I'd also like to thank you for indulging my scientific posit that the human imagination is, in fact, capable of creating mental and emotional healing in real time. Um, and again, if, if any of you knows Dr. Malkioti, please have her reach out to me. Um, these are only some of the spaces that, oh, thank you so much, Ashley, I appreciate that so much. Um, Actually, actually, this brings up a good point. These are only some of the spaces that you can explore with me. Um, You can also head over to allamericanruins.com to get more involved. You can view my photography on Instagram. You can read over 25 of my original stories on my Medium blog. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, Ashley, for doing that. And you can actually catch up on the first season, season two launches in two months. Donate to Hudson and watch the series. But most importantly, I would implore you to go use your imagination and let the world inspire you. Um, I do also want to quickly mention the presentation is done virtually and in person. So if you're from an organization or know someone who might find this interesting, um, please feel free to have them reach out to me. I will be sending a follow-up email, so you can definitely reach out to me there if you do have other questions that we don't get to in the Q&A. And I would also just like to acknowledge all of these wonderful places which have brought me into their homes and spaces to discuss my work, including now you, my new friends at the North Carolina Museum of History. So I'm just gonna leave you quickly with this quote from Dylan Thuris, who is the co-founder of Atlas Obscura. Uh, he mentioned it on my podcast. I did a profile of his work, but he states that there is no way to understate it. Imagination is the totality of human existence. Um, yeah, so that's it. I am going to paste all the links that I mentioned in the chat right now, and I think with that, uh, Hannah, is is it question? Is it question time? Is that what we're doing?
0: Yes, it is question yeah. time. Um, Quick reminder to everyone tuning in, um, please just drop your questions in the chat and then I'll ask them to Blake so that it's easier um, for him to get through as many questions as he can. Um, In the meantime, since we haven't had any questions in the chat, um, I have some that I'm prepared to ask, but please everybody send in questions. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, so one thing that I was wondering is kind of what's your process when you get to a new place, how do you start exploring, how do you start exploring it? Um, and what do you do to kind of activate your imagination as you get there?
1: Oh, uh, that's a great question. I, 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 you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of its own beast, um, to get to a space. I rely heavily on Reddit and then private messaging between urbexers Something I've noticed is that the urbex, so urbex meaning urban exploration is this sort of underground community of people who do this kind of thing that I do. Um, And they're pretty secretive about their spaces. And I should have prefaced all of this by saying I do not. Um, i can't condone or not condone um going to visit abandoned spaces because um there's legal issues <laughs> so i just wanted to make sure that I, I put that out there but to answer your question i don't know i leave it up to my imagination um i think the spaces really speak for themselves and i think that uh i'm i'm i go in with a clean slate on purpose because i don't know what's going to happen which is part of the beauty of it
0: Um, Okay. And then we do have one question. What are some states, regions, or cities that you would like to explore?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I will say the Deep South is very high up on my list. There is an amazing Instagram account called the Forgotten South. Um, The person who runs it just has... Gorgeous photos. As Julie mentioned uh, in the chat, New Mexico is also very up there. That that whole region of the country is interesting to me, um, particularly considering what happ- happened during the gold rush. That whole swath is just ripe with um, abandoned towns and mining operations, which I'd really like to get to.
0: Awesome. Okay, and then someone did say, I'm just gonna read it out, but speaking of resilience evidenced in the, is it Huff? Huff. Bakery bakery. building. You may be interested to know a former baker has obtained a number of their wonderful recipes and continues the Huff family tradition of excellent baked goods to this day after a number of challenges.
1: Yes, I don't know who owner is, but that is a, that is absolutely true. Um Huff Bakery, you can actually go, I think it's now called Archie's Huff Bakery. One of the original bakers bought all of the recipes and then started his own bakery in honor of that. And you can get their baked goods and they're shipped all over the country. Um, I think through Gold Belly or something like that. Um, we were just talking about this with my family. So whoever brought that to our attention, thank you for bringing that up because it's true.
0: That's really cool. Um... And then someone just asked, other than falling through the floor, have you ever felt unsafe in an abandoned space?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, after that fall, I really did have to reestablish um, my ground rules because this, this isn't a particularly, it's so, it's so funny. I feel the safest in these places that could actually be very dangerous, Um I think the most unsafe that I ever felt was pretty recently actually. Uh, I went with a friend of mine to this abandoned Greyhound uh, racetrack in Vermont um, and we ran into a couple people there that I was pretty uneasy around. They were fine, but I was lucky that I was there with a friend because you really never know. These are, these are, this is no man's land. So you really never know who you're you're gonna come across.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then last question Um, in many of your photos, you're leaping. Um, They asked, where are you leaping to suggesting possibly into the future?
1: I love that, Julie, thank you for, (laughs) for noticing that I am um, sort of levitating in a lot of the photos. So uh, that was intentional when I started this project again It was a pretty trying time, I think, for everybody, that first year of the pandemic, especially. And it was clear to me that I was ascending those dark feelings of isolation and anxiety and fear of death from the pandemic by visiting these spaces. So I started taking these shots where I would position my camera and uh, jump just as such to make it look like um, I'm levitating. And so this is just a perfect example um, of that because I really did feel like I was ascending um, this really dark moment in time through these very strange abandoned buildings.
0: Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much, Blake. This was a really interesting presentation and real quick, I am sending the link to your website in the chat for everybody if anyone wants to click on that.
1: Well, thank you so much, uh, Stacy and Hannah. It was really, really a pleasure to to get to hang out with y'all tonight.
2: Thank you so much, Blake, um, for sharing your stories and your passion with us. Uh, this has been a one of a kind of experience for all of us um, and a, a really special one. So we really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Stacey. Thanks, Hannah.
2: And I uh, thank all of you who joined us this evening. Um, as Blake mentioned, tonight's program is being recorded and it, along with the video links that he mentioned earlier, will be sent out to everyone who registered for tonight's program. So you can check out all those great videos. Um, we hope to see you at our next adult program, History at High Noon, Hidden Beneath Their Waves. That is a hybrid program happening in person at the museum as well as here over Zoom, August 9th, 2023, starting at noon. Um, in the meantime, we hope that you all have a wonderful evening and we will see you soon, everybody. Take care. Bye, guys.
1: If you're just tuning in for the first time, then again, welcome to Abandoned, the All American Ruins podcast. The entire first season is available now, wherever you get your podcasts, and Season 2 comes out this September. Oh, and speaking of September, for the first time ever, All American Ruins will be doing a live show, in person, in partnership with Hudson and Atlas Obscura. We'll be producing a multimedia experience at the Hudson House and Distillery in West Park, New York, on Saturday, September 23rd. I would love for you to join us at this once-abandoned monastery that overlooks the gorgeous Hudson River. To learn more and purchase tickets, just go to allamericanruins.com or follow me on Instagram at allamericanruins. Abandoned, the All American Ruins podcast, is written, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Blake File, with studio space courtesy of Radio Kingston, WKNY, AM 1490, FM 1079 in Kingston, New York. Special thanks to Ida Hakala, Jimmy Buff, and Manuel Bloss for the resources and encouragement, Carrie Donahue and the faculty at the SUNY Stony Brook Podcast Fellowship for the guidance and mentorship, and to the North Carolina Museum of History for inviting me to share my work with All American Ruins. Thanks, y'all.